You're listening to the Wheel of Time TV podcast with Jay Florence. Welcome to Randland, episode 11. Uh, today we're going to be <laughs> briefly talking about Jordan Conline, um, and then we're going to be focusing our discussion around the directors and really digging into what they've worked on and what kind of experience they are bringing to the Wheel of Time on Prime show. So, yay! Um, before we get into that, I just want to check in, see how everyone is. Who here is wearing pants? Lauren Mosness. Yeah, I'm wearing pants too. My hand is and not raised. And how many of you, you're not? Um, no. <laughs> how many of your pants have elastic waistbands? Nope. Two. Two of your pants? Do you wear two pair of pants right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only two have elastic waistbands. Oh, okay. The pants oh. I'm wearing are actual pants with no elastic involved. I have wow. zero pants and Lauren has two, so that comes out to the right amount of pants. <laughs> Yeah, how cold is it in New York, Lauren, that you have two pairs of pants (laughs) for that really breezy bike ride? (laughs) Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, So as you guys know, Jordan Con was canceled this year. We're super bummed. Um, Although I do think it like puts even more pressure on next year or anyway, more anticipation. I'm really excited because we missed out this year and I wasn't really going to dress up this year. But now I feel like, okay, I've almost been given another year. I need to really think about what what I'm going to bring to the convention. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? A-game. I think Leandrin. I think I need to spend the next year sourcing like a blonde wig with tons of tiny braids. <laughs> That's going to be your big like year project. Find the best wig. Or get a wig and braid it yourself. Yeah, or pay someone to do it. Because <laughs> I'm... <laughs> As Lauren knows, as my pillow friend. Uh, oh, yeah, you can't braid. Yeah, that's why Lauren does it for me. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you get from the relationship, Lauren? That's, I get to braid, braid yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> braids my real hair, too, Colin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I had a like fantasy the other day about Colin in this Asmodian costume. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... I mean, it would be really easy for you to be, like, a male channeler, but I think as, like, one of the Forsaken would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Andrew, I can't wait to see his, like, wombat Trolloc costume. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm still going as a Trolloc. I love it. (laughs) I think you should wear, like, you know, those legging pants, you know, that they they wore in old-timey times, too, that are, you know, quite form-fitting. Breeches. Yeah, but then in the front, you can, like, stuff it with, like, four socks so it could be, like, a wombat penis just with, like, four. <laughs> Sounds really upsetting, Jamie. I don't know if they're going to let me in the con. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, to go back to this year, um, you know, to still celebrate and reach fans, they did do Jordan Con Line. Jordan Con Online. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just going to briefly touch on the Wheel of Time on Prime panel uh, because Rafe Judkins, our showrunner, did manage to join that uh, panel, which was pretty exciting. 
Um, so I'm going to play a few clips just if you guys missed it or need a refresh. Um, he didn't necessarily reveal any new information about the show, um, but he gave us a little bit of insight into the relationships um, and what we can expect to see moving forward as fans. It, it felt like a real bonding experience. Like I had this amazing moment. I'm, I'll just say it. Like we were shooting this scene with... Um, with the girls, with Nynaeve and Egwene. And, uh, and as we were doing it, like we're at this beautiful, you know, gorge way off in the countryside. And then I'm walking to the bathroom, like, which is a trailer that's so far away from where we're shooting. And as I'm going down the road, I saw what looked like Yosha in the front seat of a car, like just driving on the, the road, not a part of the crew. And I was like looking at the window and Yosha plays Rand. And then next to him in the other front seat was Marcus, who plays Perrin. And then I look through the window and in the back seat, like crouched down on his side is Barney, who plays Matt, pretending that he's not in the car. <laughs> and so the three boys had gone behind all of our backs, rented a car and gone off to get up to no good, like <laughs> in the countryside <laughs> while the girls were filming their scene. And there's something about that moment for me, at least, that just felt like... Oh my God, <laughs> these are those <laughs> like this is really, you know, what the show is. And you see that a lot because on any show, um, the actors that have scenes together like end up becoming close and the actors who don't have scenes together too, they build a friendship and it's it's actually really good for the cast because they spend so much time together when they're shooting or not shooting those things that they start to develop those relationships with the characters you want them to have relationships with. I love the story. I think it's so freaking cute. Yeah, it's a good story. It's nice to know that like the cast is like bonding, especially obviously the three, the three boys. Like as Rafe, the whole point of the story is that the boys are emulating the re- relationship that they have in the books, which is is nice to hear. You know. Yeah, so that's good. And that Barney is mischievous, or at least trying to get away with it. <laughs> I mean, that's not the first time that he's that we've seen, or we've heard stories of him trying to get away with something. There have been other instances. <laughs> What other stories have you heard? Well, I mean, like he's like he's pretty low profile when it comes to the cast members, especially the Evansville Five. Um, like he doesn't really post on social media, unlike Yosha or mm-hmm. um, the others, you know. Um, but there have been some videos. Like I remember one video in particular um, of like who was it? Um, some of them, some people were going out, and he was Barney was in the video. I think it was big on Twitter because it was kind of the first time we had seen him. I think people were kind of wondering, like, is he still part of the show? Because right. he's so inactive in terms of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people saw him. And he had, like, a cigarette in his hand that he immediately hid once he realized, realized it was a video. So, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see, like, his personality um, in terms of who he is, even from a third-person perspective. It's not him directly in front of the camera or, or posting those things. But you get an idea of who he is maybe um, as a result of how he behaves, right? Yeah, he's the sexy one. Sure. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> no. He he does seem like more of a a bad boy. Maybe. Maybe I don't know. I think that we we haven't really seen much. Is the thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's it is interesting to see to get those glimpses um, that kind of leak through. Yeah, I think it's obvious that Paris the sexy one, just like in the books. <laughs> he's definitely the leader because he was or like the man in charge because he was driving right no yosha was driving oh yosha was driving yeah never mind 
Yeah, I think it's encouraging to hear just because, you know, sometimes you hear about these uh, casts that play characters who are really close. And then in real life, you find out later that they didn't get along or, you know, but we do have quite a young cast as our Fab Five, Amon's Field Five leading the show. And so it, it is reassuring and also just fun and nice to hear that they're getting along in, in the similar way that they are in the books, like you said, Colin. Yeah. There were some other fun panels that went on at Jordan Con. Uh, one was a Lumi Theories panel. Unfortunately, they are chock full of spoilers. Uh, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, there's a couple points that Rafe touched on, uh, one dealing with gender. Certainly some of my friends um, who don't really identify either as male or female wanted to know about the sort of like the more modern um, interpretation of sort of the gendered magic and the other elements of real time, which perhaps weren't um, in Robert Jordan's mind back in the 70s and 80s when he was planning and first writing the series. So I just wondered, can you speak a little bit more about any any changes you're making for more modern interpretation of those issues? Well, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I think the book series is so much about gender. You know, it's not about women or men as much as it is about gender and, and the balance between things. Um, and I don't know, when you read it, it feels like it's tackling some pretty modern issues of gender, uh, for me at least when I read it. And so the ones that we're doing on the show, I think are all from the books. Like they're all things that are that are in there and that you see, I feel like it's, it's not as hard for us as other book series um, from the past are to adapt because they actually still f- feel quite modern today. Um, you know, and I think that there's ways in which gender dynamics and something that might have felt feminist at that time doesn't feel feminist today. Um, And so I think as long as you stay true to the intention of like, this was meant to be a feminist thing and we should make it feel like that today for these pieces of it, um, that that's really good. But we're always approaching it as a story. Like every time they try to reposition stuff as it's like, this is about women and power. I'm like, no, it's actually about balance between the genders. And I think that's much more interesting and much more important. And and I think uh, an even more modern message than a lot of shows are tackling now is like the books are ultimately about finding that balance. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's super interesting. It's one of the things that excited me about doing this show today. What I really liked about this um, is that, you know, he ties it back to it's not just a feminist show or a show about women. It is about balance. It's about both genders and all genders. I mean, he didn't say all genders, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, this is interesting because it's kind of touching on that point I was I brought up um, a while ago in uh, the bonus episode. I think the question that was posed kind of touches more on it than Rafe's response did. But um, the idea of um, how the gendered magic system of the the books, how they might tackle that, um, it doesn't. His response didn't really answer that question. But it's I'm glad that it's it's something that's on the table that's being discussed, that's being thought about. You know. Um, but I think another thing about his response that um, really rang true to me is the idea of staying true to the intention as opposed to staying true to. Um, the the actual plot or the actual story um which, which isn't to say that you know that i think rafe is going to like deviate from like what happens in the books but if something feels like this was supposed to be feminist or this was supposed to be this or this was supposed to be that and it doesn't ring true by today's standards then adjusting that so that it stays true to the intention as opposed to staying true to some outdated kind of plot point or um the particular action that occurred right 
Um, I think that's an interesting point to make and an interesting choice to have to make. Yeah, exactly. And I think it'll be really fun for us as we watch the show um, and comment on it to see those instances where we could potentially identify where something deviates from the books or has been updated from the books to feel feminist today without changing like the overall content. So going off the, the intention at the time and making it feel the same, but for today. I think, honestly, I think that'll probably be the most contentious point of the criticism of the show when it comes out is people who are going to be like, well, that's not what happened in the book, as opposed to people who are like, oh, that has the same feel of what happened in the book, right? Um, and, th- and that's fair. I mean, I think because Rafe is the one who's making those, you know, Rafe and his team are the ones who are making those decisions, which, which isn't necessarily the same decision that someone else would make. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I know, you know, for this podcast, we are only focusing on the first two books, so we can't really reference the overall arcs of all the characters, women and male. Um, but I feel like in the first two books, the the top instances where people have some contentions, I think one are with Nynaeve and the way she's portrayed sometimes as being quite nagging or abrasive. Um and secondly, Rand's attitude um, towards Egwene and sometimes towards women in general. Um, so I'm curious. I think I think Nynaeve is really easy to sort of uh, assuage. Like she'll have idiosyncrasies that are natural to her. Um, and then Rand, I'm interested to see what they do with his character because sometimes you know, some of it's youth and learning and he has these expectations of Egwene to act like a, a normal woman in the village would and not have ambitions to leave the village or why would you want to be an apprentice and not just my wife kind of things. Uh, some of that is like things that he's going to grow through from youth and, and some of it maybe doesn't change so much. So I, that's what I'm sort of interested to see in the first season anyway. With Nanave, I wonder how much of that is just our own, just the idea that she's like nagging. because Our I own inflection. Like- yeah, I think she displays so many characteristics w- that wouldn't be an issue at all if she were like male. Like she's prideful. She's telling people what to do, which if you were mm-hmm. male, she'd be called a leader. Whereas if she's female, she's bossy and nagging and she's protective of the people around her. So I don't know. I I don't know why I'm always defending the knave, but. She just seems like I a strong... like that you always defend Nynaeve. I like yeah, it. Good. She seems like a strong female character to me. Like I don't see her as nagging. Like she's wants to be in charge and she's comfortable being in charge because in her village she was in charge. I think it does take her too long to realize that she's out of her depth and she needs to listen to other people. But yeah, I think I think that's true. I think it's an accurate analysis of of her character to that point. And I think and I think you made this point before that your your thoughts about her and I could be wrong, maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but um, the thoughts about her change as she becomes um, a POV character that really changes the way you think about Nynaeve, which she only, I think she gets maybe one or two short spots in the first book. Um, I don't recall if or when she has POV spots in the second, um, but the more that you get some of her perspective, then she be, I think in a way it kind of softens that perception of her being overbearing when you really get to understand what's going on in her head and what she's thinking about and um, what she's concerned with. 
which I think you do get from the first few books, but it's different when you get it from their perspective. Yeah, definitely. I'm most curious to see how they portray her temper, which Mm -hmm. is infamous in the books, um, along with the braid tugging. Braid tugging, yeah. Mm -hmm. To see if that's something they peel back or, or how Zoe brings it to life, how she brings that temper to life. I feel like it'll be more nuanced than than maybe it is discussed or portrayed in the book. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so I think that's one of those examples that's easily solvable when bringing it to life uh, through film. Yeah. 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 So in closing, uh, you know, there was a question about will we get to see behind the scenes? Are they going to, you know, leak anything to fans? And from Rafe's POV, you know, he wants the first time fans to see the show in context, you know, either of the trailer closer to when it's ready to come out. He doesn't want us to see Moraine, you know, sitting in a folding chair on the sidelines. She wants to, he wants us to see her in all her glory and all the work that they've put into the show. I kind of feel like it's, it's, um, like it's best to watch behind the scenes stuff after you've seen the scenes that, you know, like I want your first view of Moiraine to be through the lens of a camera, not like off to the side of a camera taking her in. Um, Because I think that that's, you know, that's more authentically what we're doing. It doesn't mean that we won't have behind the scenes stuff, but you'll, you'll be more likely to see like a picture of Moiraine in costume, like as she will be on the show before you see a behind the scenes featurette of like how we made Moiraine's costume. I agree. As hungry as fans are, I want to wait and I want to see it come together. I totally agree. I agree too. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that like it, it can't, as much as like one person or a person could say like, well, it doesn't matter. I just want to see something and I'll watch the show and, and experience the show in its own bubble. It's impossible. I'd rather like, I'd rather experience the show unadulterated and then go back and watch the behind the scenes and see, and see the, the smoke and the mirrors and the strings and the magic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Stuff. Um, I want to be, I want to be like, be able to fully throw myself into the show when it comes out and not be thinking about, oh, this is when they, this is that time when like, you know, Barney played a prank and put a whipper cushion on like, <laughs> on like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, totally. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of, you know, big shows do either some sort of, um, like behind the scenes interviews or, you know, little like a clip show after the episode airs. Yeah. And some of them frame them as kind of like podcasts, documentary podcasts. And I hope that Amazon does that as well. I actually, it's funny because usually I hate it and I like turn it off and I'm like, I don't want to know, but maybe that's just because I really didn't like watching it on Game of Thrones because I couldn't stand the interviews with D and D like I just didn't want to hear it but um but I like seeing all the effect stuff or costume stuff or what went into directing that particular episode I think I was that's funny I was thinking about that too when when Rafe was talking about that I was like normally I didn't watch it for Game of Thrones and normally I don't I'm not really interested in that stuff but I would mm-hmm. totally watch it for the show completely uh, yeah um, <laughs> and I think I think that Amazon no, they know what kind of fan base they're dealing with automatic like already so there's no reason why they wouldn't just archive this stuff and have it ready to, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they would, they would do it because they know they're going to, people are going to watch it, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, by no means have I watched everything on Amazon, but I've probably watched a lot to be honest. And I, I don't think I've seen them do that much. So I hope, you know, this is one of the biggest shows I think they've ever launched on their platform. So I hope mm-hmm. they do it. Yeah. 
I'm sure they have tons of ammo to to draw on. Yeah, absolutely. They have tons of stuff. They also have like lots of extra post production time right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so next, we're going to be talking about directors. Before we move into that. I just totally off topic had a question for you guys. I was thinking the other day about, I don't know if I want to call it the rival to Wheel of Time, but the Lord of the Rings prequel series that Amazon is launching. Um, I don't know. Personally, I hope this delays that production timeline and Wheel of Time comes out first now. (laughs) But I was trying to think, like, what would make Middle Earth interesting to me to go back because we've already had six movies and I don't know. I just feel kind of done with middle earth. I think it has to be a different take and a different feel than the Peter Jackson movies for it to be, you know, like I think it has to be like another story and another, a new vision of the world to really be successful. A new vision of the world or maybe focusing on like a group that we haven't focused on before, like IE not Hobbit driven. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that my understanding is this is more like Silmarillion focused, but I'm not really sure. So I, I, I really don't know. I haven't read Silmarillion. I'm not interested in reading it. I'm really actually not interested in the show. So <laughs> I'm, very, I'm like, I don't know. I saw Lord of the Rings. I, I'm very much in the camp. Like I watched the movies. I tried to read the books, but it, that was just not going to happen. And I'm really, I really don't care much for the world. I can appreciate it. I can appreciate it as a series that ushered in a new or um, kind of galvanized a new um, genre. But I'm personally, I'm not interested in the story of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see how audience take to the two shows, depending on how closely they launch together, if they launch in totally different seasons. Cause I could see a lot of people, you know, watching the Lord of the Rings trailer and thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not that into fantasy, I don't know, but I'm hoping what the Wheel of Time trailer brings to people opens up the audience and lets a lot more people in to give it a, give it a chance, you know? Yeah. I, I personally, have, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but I have a strong fondness for Lord of the Rings because the first fantasy book I ever read was The Hobbit. I had like an old dog-eared 70s copy that I read when I think I was like 12, and that really got yeah. me into fantasy. But I also think about Lord of the Rings as kind of like the the proto punk or I don't know they're like it's like the Joy Division or like the Stooges of fantasy or something. It's like the originals that that spawned yeah. countless similar things. And some people prefer like the newer bands that are influenced by that styles. But I, I always like to go back to like the the original. I don't know. So, yeah, and I can understand the idea of the nostalgia aspect. That's a huge a huge thing. Um, that I think I just missed out on that. Like I didn't read it early enough for t- to have that. So by the time I came to it, it was kind of like, meh, I could just watch these movies and get the idea, you know? Yeah. Colin, that's actually exactly how I feel about Star Wars because I didn't watch it as a kid. Same, actually same. Same. <laughs> so when I watch it as an adult, I'm like, this is, this sucks. Yeah, same. <laughs> I like, I actually like not all the new stuff, but a lot of the newer one-off stuff. But when it comes to like, the actual quote unquote episodes, they're kind of like 
horrible. Yeah, I like I like the newer ones, spinoffs and stuff too, Rogue One. And but the originals are just like if I think if it doesn't get you that impressionable age where you really makes an impact as an adult, you're like this is pretty cheesy. Well, and it's just also like the time that it was made because how the fantasy world was built then is so like it obvious. But when it was first created, it was new and never seen before. But now we've seen so many alternate universes on TV and they're so well done and they look so real. Like that one, you know, just still looks a little, what's the word, kitschy? It's a little dated, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The effects. And that's a really good point. Like, and I think that that feeds into the idea that Andrew is saying is like, if you don't, if you don't catch it at a certain age where you can suspend your disbelief, right. Um, then it just isn't going to work. Yeah. I mean, that's something with Lord of the Rings I was thinking about is okay. If it's some sort of prequel or based on the Silmarillion, like how do you update it? I like, it has to be totally divorced from what Peter Jackson is doing, but you know, one aspect of the wheel of time that we're so excited about on television is diversity and like if i just think about the peter jackson movies i don't uh, i just feel like they're so white i don't remember did anyone maybe. ever see the wizard of oz 2 oh yes yeah. it's super oz? creepy yeah, yes it's, it's, like <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like the same like but that's kind of like a very different take on the wizard of oz oh it's yeah it's the same story that's totally, what i totally. keep like thinking of like that's really different all right, if if Lord of if the new Lord of the Rings show is the equivalent <laughs> of Wizard of Oz two compared to Wizard of Oz one, I'm absolutely watching that. Yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> down for that. Yeah, if that's if that's the analog, then I'm down actually. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm the network exec, Lauren, like I'm hiring you for that treatment. Go for it. Lord of the Rings with wheelers. Wheelers are terrifying. <laughs> Wait, did you say wheelers? Yeah. That reminds me, like, I guess Amazon is trying to name fans no. and they try to call us the wheelies. <laughs> sounds like an amateur league hockey team or something. Matt said it sounded like a nursing home competition. Like, oh, no. just, sorry, but I don't know. We, we got to think of something different. I, at one point, I suggested Randy's for our podcast. No. That got shut, shut down hard. No, it sounds like a bad awards show. The Randy's. Like a I mean, porn award. Should we call it like Dragon Sworn or <laughs> it something? It does sound like a porn award. <laughs> Basically, I think that like Robert Jordan gave us so many names by which to call ourselves as fans throughout mm-hmm. the, the series. Like, why would you choose wheelies? <laughs> what? Oh why would you make something else up like that? If it ends in E, I'm not I'm not into it. Like the wheel of timeies. The wheelies, the randies. Yeah. I don't want it ending in E. Sorry. I don't know. I like the wheel of timeies. That's <laughs> wheel of timeies. It's just like overlong and non nonsensical. Really hilarious. <laughs> yes, that's what that's what we called as fans. Robert Jordan's wheel of timeies. <laughs> Nailed it. We got it. Okay, spread some t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Obviously, we shouldn't be directing the show. Um, let's let's move on. Let's talk about directors. So we had an entire uh, episode dedicated to the first director who was announced, Uta Brisowitz, who is very sought after, 
top of her game right now in Hollywood, and she'll be directing episodes one, Leave Taking, and episode two, Shadows Waiting. So we covered that ground. Today we're going to talk about the additional three directors who have been announced, uh, Wayne Yip, Sally Richardson, and Kieran Donnelly. Um, so pretty like great spectrum of directors. I'm pretty excited about them. Um, I also, I don't know how you guys feel, but I like that there's two women, two men, and there's like a lot of diversity within this mix. Like that's really comforting to see because it's one thing to get diversity on camera. It's another to get it behind the camera. Um, and it, it promises that there's also going to be a more diverse crew because they're going to have the people they like to work with um, and different decisions to be made. What, do you, what did you guys think just seeing them like as, as a group before we dig in individually? Uh, yeah, I was I was pretty pleased with it. Um, their resumes look good. Um, the like you're saying, the diversity is great. It seems like a really um, good mix of people. Yeah, cool. Um, so first up, we're going to go in episodic order. So we'll talk about director Wayne Yip. Um, he is directing two episodes: episode three, A Place of Safety, and episode four, A Dragon Reborn. Um, so if you guys can, uh, sort through your memory, originally we had said, uh, a place of safety, maybe, um, Aridol. uh, and then the dragon reborn. I think we, uh, does anyone remember what our theory was for that actually? Um, I feel like I don't remember, but I feel like it could be the scene with the Lyda. Maybe I think I it was Logan, right? Weren't we thinking maybe Logan. first Logan? Because they couldn't. Oh, yeah. That makes sense, yes. I don't think they could. <laughs> that seems really early for anything else. So that's cool. It could take us between uh, Shatter Lagoth and Camelin, potentially. Potentially, uh, but I feel like that could be, it could be, if it's focusing on Logan, it could be them expanding that role, right? So it could be Yeldon. Mm -hmm. It could be any, any place. It could definitely be multiple locations. So looking at his directing experience, uh, you may recognize some of these shows. Uh, first, Preacher was first on my list because fuck yeah, I love Preacher. Um, he's He was well known for directing Doctor Who. Uh, and then more re recently, he worked on Hunters, uh, that show on Amazon where they, uh, Al Pacino and gang are hunting Nazis in America. Uh, Into the oh, Badlands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you watch Hunters? Yeah. I think you told me to watch it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was it was a well-done show. And it's sort of a big show set-wise. So there's a lot going on. Into the Badlands, I did not watch, but it's a lot of stunts and VFX. And so that's encouraging. And then Doom Patrol, my fiancé watched. Did anyone else catch that one? No. No. It's it's weird. It's very like dark comic universe kind of show with like a dry sense of humor. But um, it's there's a lot of VFX in that too because they have different uh, superpowers and there's it's pretty stunt driven. So yeah, I mean he looks pretty young, but he has a lot of notable experience. Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it's yeah. good. It's funny, I couldn't find any interviews or anything with him. So I bet post-Wheel of Time, he'll probably blow up and we'll see a lot more sort of publicity around him. 
potentially get to know them a little better Hopefully, unless they're terrible no it'll be great next up sally richardson whitfield i think after uda i'm most excited about her shout out for gargoyles y'all i fucking love that cartoon <laughs> did anyone know wait she was in gargoyles yes one thousand years ago superstition and the sword ruled it was a time of darkness it was a world of fear it was the age of gargoyles. Best cartoon ever. I'm not even exaggerating. It's one Wait, of my who favorites. Is, who is she, gargoyles? she was the voice of Elise. Oh, shit. Wow. Nice. Okay, cool. I didn't list it because I didn't know if you guys would remember, so oh I didn't even God. put that in my notes. But yeah, I, I had the Gargoyles VHS that had a what? It had a game at the end. Oh, my God. And Jamie. it was like a choose-your-own-adventure, and it was like fast forward like if you choose this fast forward and then it would tell you what to do oh but it was, my God, i remember amazing. it being a very dark and scary game for a child <laughs> <laughs> that was a good show though it was yeah it was a good show it was good who is the who is the villain in gargoyles i just remember thinking i want to be as cool as that guy oh yeah david xanatos that's his name david xanatos david xanatos <laughs> oh my god yes marry me are you serious? We're genetically compatible, highly intelligent, and have the same goals. It makes perfect sense to get married. True. But what about love? I think we love each other as much as two people such as ourselves are capable of that emotion. Oh, that too? Oh my god. Riker on The Next Generation. That's awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now I feel like we need to go watch Gargoyles. I'm totally down for rewatching Gargoyles in this uh quarantine season <laughs> for those who haven't seen it it's a cartoon from the 90s 1994 to 1996 about a clan of heroic night creatures who pledged to protect modern new york city as they did in scotland 1000 years earlier so good. Are they, do they have scottish accents on the no. show no. one oh of them God. does the character called hudson i believe he had an accent lauren your knowledge is <laughs> It is phenomenal. He's the oldest. He is the oldest gargoyle. I just want to be David Xanatos. That's all I have to say. So good. I'm changing my last name to Xanatos. Stomp Xanatos. <laughs> all right, all right. Back to Sally Richardson. Uh, so yeah, she did start her career as an actress and obviously did voice work for Gargoyles. She also has starred in Stitchers, which she had a recurring role on, um, and Altered Carbon, as well as one-off appearances on a lot of different TV shows. Um, she then moved into directing, and she's been very vocal about that journey and encouraging of other female filmmakers and people of color. You know, it was a hard shift to make, but it's what she wanted to do, and she pursued it, and she's had a really thriving career. So she's directed a huge range of television shows, uh, most recently Altered Carbon, which she also starred, had a small role in, Treadstone, Dear White People. She also has directed Doom Patrol, just like Wayne Yip. And I, I believe Uta Brisowitz also directed some Altered Carbon. So There's that's a lot of you're... Altered Carbon overlap, yeah. and, which I love because I, I loved Altered Carbon. But I'll be honest, season two was not my bag. I don't know. I have not. I've tried to watch the first two episodes and I was like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I watched the whole thing. 
Oh, you did. <laughs> I did. Bless you. She also directed one of my favorite episodes of American Gods, season two, episode five, The Ways of the Dead. Yeah, so um, good. This is an episode that has like super sexy sex scenes, <laughs> like, and some interesting editing. Um, and then last but in no way least, she's also worked on The Magicians, The Punisher, Luke Cage, Queen Sugar, and many more. So yeah, what do you how are you guys feeling about Sally? Super excited. Yeah, I think I think it'll be good. Um, I think it's interesting that they're directing two episodes in a row. Like they have these two block or two episode blocks of episodes as opposed to I kind of love it. I think it's it's an interesting choice. It's a logistical driven choice versus a story driven choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, exactly. Um, it kind of makes sense for their careers in terms of like, okay, you can move on and do this other thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like how it's going to feel to watch this show progress from this person's hands immediately into this person's hands, into this person's hands, into this person's hands, as opposed to kind of it kind of going back and forth. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel as disjointed maybe. I don't know. We haven't seen the show yet, but it's an interesting choice. Yeah. I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, just why you would rely on different directors for different types of episodes or different events that have to happen. But I also think there's something to be said for having one director for the whole season. Like if I think about some of my favorite shows of all time, like True Detective, I think the first season of True Detective is the best. And it had one kind of guiding directorial vision. Mm-hmm. You definitely can, I'd recently watched The Outsider and the first two episodes are directed by Jason Bateman, which is bizarre because he's so weird. comedic and it's really dark, but they're yeah. great. And then as the show went on, they switched to other directors and you've definitely felt the shift a little bit. It was still mm-hmm. a good show, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder why that choice is made sometimes to, to I, I mean, for one director to direct an entire season like this is almost impossible um and like just because it's so grueling how much work you have to do and it would also delay the timeline because it's like it would take a long time yeah there's three phases like you're in prep then you're in production then you're in post and so like that person would constantly be like in one of the phases overlapping and it, it would just kill kill them you know like by the end of it it would probably suffer just from literal exhaustion I mean, I know in one of these, Sally said, you know, uh, let's see, on a normal show, you might shoot nine days an episode. On Wheel of Time, they're shooting 15 to 20 days an episode. That's so crazy. Um, Yeah. uh, With like two months of of pre-production. So I'm I'm assuming they're piling that together. So maybe one month of pre-pro per episode, but I I don't know. but yeah, just to do the location scouting, selecting props, approving wardrobe, additional cast. And then since this is the first season, they're also making decisions about like the fantasy elements and fantasy characters. So I think in this case, you know, four directors is not too many directors. Um, it's enough that they can sort of get a handle and create continuity but I I agree with Colin that it'll be interesting, like in season two, if they do the same way. I know they're shooting in Europe, so it's also like they're working with a lot of American and they're working with all American or English directors. And so those people have to leave their families, go to Europe for two, three months or four months at a time, which is a lot. So I don't know. 
I don't know if next season they'll do more like, oh, we want to get Sally for this battle episode and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then bring her back when it makes more sense, like the way Game of Thrones did. Yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting choice. We obviously have no way of knowing um, why they put certain directors on certain why exactly they put certain directors on certain episodes, but mm-hmm. um, the way it seems laid out is, it's bizarre to me, but you know, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, my, the two answers that I'm guessing is logistics so that they can have someone there yeah. and they're like consolidating pre-production. So they need one director to oversee this for efficiency and get it done and travel. I think that's what it is personally. Yeah. And I, I think somewhat continuity because it's a new show. So instead of having eight directors, having four, you know, is probably stre- streamlining production a little bit. Mm-hmm. She also did an interview. This is from a couple years ago, but she talks about her angle as her strengths as a director who is a former actor. Being an actor director, I have no fear of actors. Uh, What I've noticed, you know, being directed by other directors, obviously, throughout my career, is sometimes they're afraid. And they're afraid to come in and give you the notes you need to have. And I don't know what that is. But as actors, we we can feel if you're fearful. And that A1 will make us not trust you. And if we don't trust you, then you really can't do anything with us. I think that uh, the most successful uh, way to learn about acting is to take an acting class. I think that if you have an idea of what that language is, uh, that will help you. You know, when you're doing uh, TV, most of the actors know their characters. So you come in to tell me uh, what my character would do after I've been on a show for four or five years, you're going to get iced out. You, you just are managing people all day actors who have their, you know, how do I work with this personality, this personality, get this. Then you have the producers, you have the crew, you have your DP. Sometimes it can just be uh, exhausting navigating everybody's personality because you want people to give you their best. So how do I get you to give me your best? What do I need to do? How do I need to talk to you? What do you need uh, so that you will work the hardest for me? My advice to a black female director coming into this business. Um, And I don't know if it's just a black woman thing. I think for most women, don't be afraid to stay a woman. We, what makes us great is that we have different strengths and sometimes it's using being a woman. We know how to get things from, or not get things, um, how to talk a different way to mostly a male crew sometimes to get the things you need to do. And sometimes that may be um, to talk to you like a mother, sometimes as your friend. Whatever those things are that, uh, women have a lot of different personalities and don't be afraid to use all of those personalities. Because when it comes down to it, it's like I said, you want people to work the hardest for you. And how, what do I need to do to get you to do that? That that was interesting. It sounds a lot like being a manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a director is a manager. Uh, that's, you know, just on a very high level. What did you guys think of that interview? Any comments? I, I appreciate it. I appreciate her take on it and how she 
stated she has no fear because she's been an actor. Um, I haven't acted in over a decade, so I can't give a very uh, fresh experience. But yeah, it, it is it is a unique person to be a director, I think, because you do have to find unique ways to communicate with almost everyone, which I've never been a director, but it has it has to be exhausting to figure out how to get the best out of everyone always. Yeah, it, it's not something everyone can do. I, I really latched on to the last thing she said where she talks about being a woman and we have all these different facets to our personality and we do use them. And I do think it's it's a strength. Like women are, we're so, we have to be self-aware to succeed and modulate our tone or turn up and turn down different parts of our personality to succeed all the time that it's something that we learn to do naturally. And then in a professional environment, we really have to hone that, you know, for you, I'm sure it's like, as a manager, for me, like as a producer, I have to do this all the time. If I'm talking to below the line crew, if I'm talking to a director or a writer, or if I'm talking to an agency or like a big client like Starbucks or something, I have to do it with my fiance to like, be to get what I want. And uh, I I'm just going to say it. I think women are better at it. What do you think of that, Andrew and Colin? I'm not touching that. Oh, (laughs) damn. I also have no comment. All right, then. That's all right. We'll just alienate all of the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and male fans in our audience in one episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, men have other strengths. I mean, I think it goes back to something you said earlier about gender bias language where you said like a man might be viewed as a leader whereas a woman might be viewed as bossy or nagging Mm -hmm. and so that's where these different facets to a woman's personality come into play to get what we need or to get things done or to get the best performance out of people is like really understanding what motivates them and our roles as mothers wives girlfriends professionals like place into that not that men can't or don't do this as well moving on um so she is all she has already directed two episodes episode five blood calls blood and episode six the flame of tarvalin so you directed how many episodes two so i was there for two months prepping Oh, wow. Okay. And then she's not shooting. Okay. All right. And so when you're prepping, tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing? Because you've gone for four months, you shot two episodes. That's a long time. Well, because when you have these, there's, so you're location scouting, you're picking out props, you're in this particular show, I'm helping, I'm part of um, new wardrobe that's going on, approving that, approving new cast. There's a new character in it that is a something, you know, more of a fantasy character. So I have to Mm -hmm. make a lot of decisions on that. Huge sequences, like with, you know, I probably had three or four sequences that had maybe 300 people in it. Um, So, um, and animals and, you know, horses and um, so uh, carriages. Uh, all you know a lot of locations in remote places so that Mm -hmm. takes a lot of timing and planning in her interview she describes 
having to direct sequences with 300 plus people, animals, and carriages. And she also said that she had to make decisions around a fantasy creature. Character. Sorry. Yeah, character. But um, wondering, like, could that character be loyal? I think so. I mean, when I listened to that interview, that it screamed to me, um, Camelon. Because. Yeah, me too. That's really, I mean, and that's why I made that correction of fantasy character as opposed to creature. Because it makes a big difference in terms of who the, who or what she could be talking about. Yeah. So I th- it screams to me, Camelin, um, you know, Matt and Rand meeting uh, Loyal there and uh, Loghain showing up, that huge, that huge scene. Mm-hmm. That's what made the most sense to me in terms of like what she said as, and, and also in terms of where we know that she's directing, you know, where, where, her, where her episodes are in terms of the season. So it makes the most sense to me in that respect. Cool. So I thought it'd be fun if Stomp would read us an introduction to Camelin so we can get a sense. We we have previously read the scene where Rand meets Loyal and Camelin, so didn't want to repeat that. Rand twisted up to kneel behind the driver's seat. He could not help laughing with relief. We made it, Matt. I told you we'd... Words died in his mouth as his eyes fell on Camelin. After Berlon, even more after the ruins of Shader Lagoth, he had thought he knew what a great city would look like. This, this was more than he would have believed. Outside the Great Wall, buildings clustered as if every town he had passed through had been gathered and set down there, side by side and all pushed together. Inns thrust their upper stories above the tile roofs of houses and squat warehouses, broad and windowless, shouldered against them all. Red brick and gray stone and plastered white, jumbled and mixed together, they spread as far as the eye could see. Barillon could have vanished into it without being noticed, and Whitebridge swallowed up twenty times over with hardly a ripple. And the wall itself, the sheer fifty-foot height of pale gray stone, streaked with silver and white, swept out in a great circle, curving to north and south till he wondered how far it must run. All along its length, towers rose, round and standing high above the wall's own height, red and white banners whipping in the wind atop each one. From inside the wall, other towers peeked out, slender towers even taller than those at the walls, and domes gleaming white and gold in the sun. A thousand stories had painted cities in his mind, the great cities of kings and queens, of thrones and power and legends, and Camelon fit those mind-deep pictures as water fits into a jug. Yeah, I mean, it could definitely be Camelon. I think we had talked about, in episode 6, The Flame of Tarvalin, that maybe... The Amarillan seat goes to Cablin to see Loghain. Right, right, right. Otherwise, we don't see her till Faldara, and that would be a big change in the story. Or they could be taking us to Tarvalin if it's you know. It... Yeah, I mean it's 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 conceivable that they could just bring the Amarillan seat to Cablin for an audience with the with the False Dragon. I don't know. Maybe we learn that there's more than one. Like that, Aes Sedai are like many. I think they're just going to cut back and forth between different locations, like like we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah. Like, I really doubt they're going to f- stay with one set of characters like they, they do a lot in the books. I think they're probably going to go for expanding the whole world at, at once. I don't know. but yeah. yeah, I agree. No, I agree with that. I think that's true. I actually retract my statement about the Merlin Sea coming to Camelot. I don't think that would make much sense at all, quite frankly. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're bringing Loghain to Tarvalon. Right, exactly. So it doesn't make yeah. sense at all. 
So, um, so yeah, I think that, I think it's a good point. I, I couldn't even possibly begin to imagine the way in which they would justify calling this episode the Flame of Tarvalon, but I do agree with with Andrew's sentiment about it moving around. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. So that is Sally Richardson Whitfield. We're very excited about her, um, and those episodes should be very interesting. They have a lot of moving pieces. So last but not least, we have Kieran Donnelly. He is an Irish director. He has also worked on Altered Carbon. So three of four directors have worked on Altered Carbon. Who else has worked on Altered Carbon? So we can speculate as who else. Uda and Sally. Yeah, and the people on on Wheel of Time. So we know who Oh, just go through all the directors. And (laughs) you know, I actually did a little cross analysis. I went to IMDB just to look at the agents. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty much all with different agents, different talent agencies. So it's not like one agent's getting everyone on like altered carbon. So I don't know. Interesting. Um, I thought that Andrew would be excited to hear that he has directed Vikings. Ooh. And a lot of episodes, too. The Tudors. Yeah. Camelot, Once Upon a Time. I am embarrassed to say I have watched Once Upon a Time. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I love that show. At least, like, the first four seasons. And then it got, like, pretty convoluted once they brought in, like, Moana or something. What? Did they? I don't know. They just get well. They brought in Elsa. That's who they brought in. They brought in like Elsa and Anna, and I'm like, really? Are we really going like that new? Then I quit watching after that. Oh my god! I think I just watched for Robert Carlyle because if there was ever a sexy Rumpelstiltskin, it was Robert Carlyle, who (laughs) I had put up for one of our fan castings as Pat on Fane back in the day. Uh Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, it was also similar to, uh, Wayne Yip. I couldn't really find many interviews or anything with Kieran, uh, but obviously he has a good track record Mm. and so we'll see what he brings to the table. He's directing episodes seven and eight. So the season finale Mm -hmm. and those titles are still unknown. He's also not yet listed on the IMDb. Oh, really? Oh, so when you're in production on a film, like if you go to the IMDb page now, you'll start seeing that some of the below the line crew is being filled in and that's because they've completed work. Right. So I think, uh, you know, they announced Uda early and they were in production, but I think because production's delayed on this, things could always change. So they're sure. not going to post him on the IMDb until they actually get into pre-production, um, which could be down the road right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that rounds out our full cast of directors for season one, Wheel of Time. Feeling confident. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I like the Vikings. I like to see the Vikings. Does that show, I'm assuming, I know it has like fighting violence in it, but is it like pretty every episode or is it like how? Yeah, it's pretty violent. Okay. I'm asking because of the particular subject matter that I assume Kieran will be dealing with on those few episodes. I think it's battle scenes are well done. So maybe he'll bring some of that, which I thought would be exciting to me. Cool. Nice. Yeah. And I would say like, I did watch the tutors and that has a lot of drama and performance direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like once upon a time also has a lot of VFX. I mean, they're lower budget and for TV, but it's a, it's a magic show about Disney characters. So there's a lot, a lot going on that you have to plan for. And if it's similar to eye of the world, I mean, the finale will be pretty action-packed. Yeah. True. I'm most ex- excited to see Faldara brought to life. 
That's what you're most excited to see? Really? Feldora? No, no. In these two episodes. Oh. I'm excited. I assume in episode seven, we'll be in Faldara, we'll meet Ingtar, and we'll have that scene with Agomar where he tells the Amonsfield Five about Land's past. Mm, yeah. So good. That's something I look forward to. And then obviously episode eight, you know, will be lots of channeling and that'll be cool. Plus the Green Man, which we've talked about at length. <laughs> I want a full on 10 minute land flashback. That's what I want. I'm excited to see some Forsaken. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? Your BDSM Forsaken. Get the, they need to get the Hellraiser. Yes, up, exactly. That's what, exactly what I'm talking about. That'll be good stuff. All right. So um, to top it off, I did want to just answer a question that Andrew had a while back. Um, how are they going to deal with the fact that the cast has many different accents and comes from all different parts of the world. And so you'll be happy to know that on IMDb, uh, three dialect coaches were their names went up. So we know that they are working with dialect coaches to get some sort of continuity across the characters who are coming from different regions. Does that make you happy, Andrew? Yes. Yeah, I hope what they're going for is the same thing they do on Vikings, where you have a very international cast, but they're all sort of doing this same made-up accent to sound the same. That's what I hope they go for. I hope they just all sound Dutch. (laughs) It's just, it's the same reason I don't watch Makings of. It's just because I like the immersion. And if you have five people who are supposed to be from the same small village and they all have different accents, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So uh, just to recap, they have Naomi J. Todd, I think is the the lead dialect coach. Uh, she's worked on Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Godzilla, King of Monsters, Pokemon, Detective Pikachu, and On the Basis of Sex, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. Sonia Field is also working with her. They crossed over on Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, and the Godzilla movie. And then there's an additional dialect coach, Jessica Tobert, who worked on Brave New World. To me, the most exciting thing here is just imagining what the different dialects are going to sound like, because I assume that like the two rivers might have their own, and then Mm -hmm. maybe Andor as a whole, and then that might be different than the Borderlands or Faldara, so... I don't know. It's part of like the culture that I think that'll be cool to see is to hear the different yeah. accents. Yeah, I agree. I'm most excited for the Ileana accent, of, particularly of Belle Daman. Um, and I was, so I got a bunch of strawberries and rhubarb and made jam last weekend. And uh, apparently there's, everyone has their own different recipe for that. There's no fixed ratio. So I was watching some like, old British or Scottish grandma or something teach me how to make jam. And she talked like an Ileana and she was like, and the strawberries do be quite good now. And she just kept saying doobie. And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The ratio you used. Oh gosh. Um, Like six cups of rhubarb to four cups of strawberries. And like max two cups of sugar yeah but then i ended up making a big batch because all of that made only three jars (laughs) 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 then i did a big one and i i only used two and a half cups of sugar and it was it was perfect nice 
Sorry, I didn't make enough to send you guys any, though. <laughs> we'll just have strawberry rhubarb dreams. <laughs> yeah. For fans listening, uh, we are going to be launching a Patreon. And so look out for that. If you join, uh, you might get a free tote bag with our Randland awesome logo. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about that. We're also going to be making some sticker packs. So that'll be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about the stickers. Stickers. Oh yeah. <laughs> also Randland branded lambskin condoms on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew, you're running point on those, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're handcrafted. Absolutely. So <laughs> I did give some lambskin condoms to both Colin and Stomp. True. Still in my apartment and I had to put them away. I put them in a different area because I almost what? grabbed one. And I was like, that's not, you don't want to use those. But ours are perfectly safe. <laughs> oh my God. Colin, did you uh, put yours in a different area? <laughs> it's really funny. Actually, no, I put them in the exact area I put my other condoms. And so now I'm like, shit, did I like, no, did I you use- <laughs> no, I didn't so, use them. So no one's used them? I haven't used it, no. Should check the expiration date. I don't know how lambskin lasts. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine though. Some people have to use them. Some people have like latex allergies. I mean, it's like, an old membrane condom. Yeah. Imagine if you had to keep them in the fridge and then they were cold every time. You had oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a surefire way to lose it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh man, putting a condom on sucks <laughs> enough as it is. Got a big ice cold. Exactly. Make sure that's on the package. Like, must be refrigerated. <laughs> you gotta get like a hair dryer or something and just blast it. Like, as soon as it goes on. Refrigerate after opening. Oh, Under that, it just says wash before reuse. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been our show. 